Viva Las Vegas! Woo! <laughs> is the strip still standing this morning? What time is it there right now? 3 a.m.? 3 a.m. They're still out and about. At least half the team is still out. I 100%. hope so. 100%. But they award that cup kind of early in terms of Pacific time, right? Yeah, like The definitely. sun was still the up when they're showing the parties. It was weird. I kind of like forgot about time. The way <laughs> Vegas works, too, it's like... You're not you're not leaving your hotel room until it's dark. I so yeah, been, they're probably they're probably still They out might and about. be you know what? It they're is a probably streaming the fan morning show back at their hotel right now. Yeah, maybe just kind of cooling they're down. They're cooling down. Cooling down and they want to revel in their glory. Hell yeah. Congratulations to Vegas Golden Knights and all the Canadian folk on that team. <laughs> Three big nights for Canadian sports in uh, a you, row. You underplayed the amount of Canadians, by the <laughs> there way. There was like 18 yeah, of them. yesterday you were like searching for Canadians. Jonathan Quick comes up. Yes. It's like pretty much everyone but Jonathan It was a terrible website. I had zero lead up to that question. I just Googled yeah. it. A lot of Canadians. That's great. We we just... A couple we, misfits. What can happen tonight to make it four Canadian nights in a row? We might have hit a wall unless... Yeah, we don't have many options. There's a big night in the MLB, but two back... Jordan to- Romano decides to pitch nine straight innings. Okay, stay tuned. <laughs> Blue Jays and Baltimore Orioles. We don't want to talk much about that game because it was bad. Mm-hmm. But bad, bad. we had lots of good things in sports yesterday. Vegas Golden Knights awarded the cup. Got the first look at Raptors' newest head coach in an outdoor fanfare festival. Talk about, talk about curveballs, eh? Like you go down, you think you're going to be inside, you're dressing a, a certain way, <laughs> and all of a sudden it's like a wedding where it's like 35 degrees, you're <laughs> you're in a suit, and you're just absolutely getting torched. I think that might have been the Michael Grange experience I don't yesterday. know how many people knew that that was going to be the way they set this thing up yesterday. I don't think yesterday. anyone knew. I would have been so rattled. It was, it was awesome, but glad we didn't have to go down there without SPF because you would mm-hmm. not have been wearing any. Very important. Um, all right, Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, that was a game where you knew for a long time that the party had already started in the stands. Mm-hmm. That's it's kind of tough to pace yourself, I'm sure. At that point, you're watching halfway through the game. You basically know you've won the cup. Players on the bench. Give a lot of credit to, I guess, even Florida for continuing to like at least push a bit there. They tried. They knew that they had lost the game, maybe even before the game started with Matthew Kachuk. Mm-hmm. Vegas kept piling it in mark stone looking for a hat trick like it was a very it was a very slow march it felt like to the buzzer when the party really started but 
kind of hard to play in that scenario when you know it's kind of over, right? There, were, other than like two five-minute segments, it was the most obvious result imaginable, and it, there, there were still storylines, and we'll get to storylines a little bit later mm-hmm. in terms of like what we were watching and what was interesting in the moment. Uh, but yeah, early on, Vegas looked a little bit like Denver, a little bit like the Nuggets, where they weren't <laughs> really sure how to deal with the moment. Uh, but once they got that first from Stone, which was a massive, massive yeah. moment, they looked fully and completely comfortable. Florida did start out pretty good in the second period, got a goal from um, Aaron Ekblad. But after they kind of shook that off, they had about five, six, seven shifts in a row where it was just completely and totally overwhelming. And it looked like a team that was playing against a team in a lesser division rather than mm. one in a Stanley Cup final. Uh, that You're right. That was just a party. That was <laughs> as dominant and as decisive as a result in a championship game as you could really get it kind of devolved from an actual game for a lot of it because it was so lopsided you don't see things like you know guys just like taking three whacks at an empty net to get a hat trick hat trick in a in a cup clinching game like you don't normally see stuff like that like you got to make the quote-unquote smart play and dump it in and make sure you don't have the icing usually because the stakes well the stakes are the same but the situation is far more um I guess close, we mm. contested, mm-hmm. uh, and this was not. This felt like a January game in some ways, where it was just like, "Hey, can we get this guy a hat trick?" And they did, and they won a Stanley Cup in the process. And uh, yeah, it was quite the party in Vegas. First time since 1917 that nine goals were scored in the club, a cup clinching game um, by the winning team, and two major trophies handed out back to back nights to two teams that had never won them before, and both. On mm-hmm. their home soil, which has also never happened before. So got to see some first in terms of teams lifting that up, getting their first party out of the way, kind of going through the emotions. Lots of great post-game interviews. I mean, the awarding the Stanley Cup is the best. Like, I wait for this all season yeah. long. You just, I'm sitting on my couch like, probably should go to bed. I could just watch this all night long. Mm-hmm. You go on Twitter afterwards, and there's just so many great interviews. And the Sportsnet team had so many players just coming through the line and those raw emotions right away, you really understand the toll that the playoffs take, the season takes on team, family, everything, that city. And it was really special to see, obviously, there's so many storylines going into this, but the original misfits getting that moment, getting them to start the game, I thought was a really special touch. I don't know, like a, that's a pretty confident touch to put yeah, them out there too. It, it was. It we're was. this. We're just I this confident it. that I we're putting it. out five of our six guys to start it, the game. It's a vibes play. I mean, mm-hmm. you're you're the vibes coordinator. You understand vibes more than anyone. That was definitely a vibes play. It was playing to the crowd, the situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it was a great message to send to your team and just the building. I don't know if it actually worked out like perfectly in the moment where they had a great first shift and the momentum carried through and they never looked back. It kind of set the tone though. Like this is the team. This is. The group of guys that got us here, let's honor that and let's and, win and, it for them almost. And this is the night. Like, we mm-hmm. are doing this. Mm-hmm. This there, There's no there's no looking back. This is going to be a celebration from first shift until the last. And, yeah, you nailed it. Like, yesterday or the night before, we saw the Denver Nuggets have their championship moment. And I'm actually proud of us for not, like, ripping that because the only conversation on Canadian sports radio normally mm-hmm. after a Super Bowl or – an NBA championship is like, oh, how poorly do they do their championship celebration? We resisted the urge to do that. But then you're reminded the next night how great it is to watch the Stanley Cup get awarded. And it's like, honestly, it might be the only thing that makes me, that turns me into a kid again. Like, I'm oh, yeah. just like sitting there by myself 
smiling, mm -hmm. watching these guys celebrate, watching so the good. handshakes, watching them do their laps, watching them hug each other and have their moments. Like, it's pretty much the only thing that brings me back to something that it's like, that's so pure, right? And it's just every time, despite what team it is, no matter the situation, no matter if you hate that team, love that team, I can always, like, a Stanley Cup celebration always brings a massive, massive smile to my face. It's a bunch of grown men letting their emotions out, living a childhood dream, <laughs> not in pajamas, and they're just pouring out emotion. Mm -hmm. It's so special to watch. It's going to be a long time since for a long off season and a long season until we see it again. And yeah, maybe I didn't have much like affinity for the Vegas Golden Knights for the last year. And they started out there six years ago, their inaugural season with such a bang. They were kind of the first team that tried to win people over on social media, right? They had their whole yeah. social media shtick and it was really fun. And then every single team kind of took on that same voice. And there's a lot of like, I don't know, a lot of interesting storylines for the Vegas Golden Knights stabbing people in the back, being kind of cutthroat, working their way to the top, circumventing the cap, but they did what they needed to do to win a Stanley Cup. And they stand there last night and it's all worth it for them. Like they brought a Stanley Cup to their young franchise, those players for the last six years that grinded it out. And I mean, you kind of just have to forget all that and tip your hat. Yeah, I mean, you could we could sort of run through the, hey, the five things we learned from the Vegas Golden Knights. Like, we could do this listicle style, and we could compare it to the Toronto Maple Leafs or any yeah. other team, and, and we could just, like, look at the team and be like, hey, what should we learn? But the biggest learning point is that attitude. It's that cutthroat attitude. It is the, we are not stopping the six years, playoffs in three, Stanley Cup in six. We are not going to leave any stone unturned in our pursuit of that mm. that is the number one lesson here and we can just we can just talk about what it is rather than it being a lesson because it is true and it is powerful i mean this team did not make many friends whether it's with the social media or with nhl <laughs> agents or with former players there are probably a bunch of people around the league who didn't enjoy didn't have the smile on their face like i had last <laughs> night watching because they were maybe feeling hard done by by this organization because this organization decided that it was going to get theirs. It was going to go after any upgrade in any conceivable way because they felt that was the best chance to get to their goal. And any team around the NHL should be able to learn from that because really, since Vegas got here, there's only one team operating like Vegas. Like they went out and got Max Pacioretty and then they turned their back almost immediately on Max Pacioretty. They had a guy who waved the flag for them in their inaugural season harder than anyone, most representative of the franchise, maybe the nicest human in the entire sport in Marc-Andre mm. Fleury. And if you believe Alan Walsh, they put a, a knife in his back. Even named their dog Bark-Andre Fleury. Well, Bark, uh, rest in peace, Bark-Andre Fleury. Yeah. Unfortunately, he died a couple uh, like weeks before, which is kind of sad. But nice if Bark-Andre Fleury saw that. But yeah, that was like the unofficial mascot. Mm -hmm was someone's dog named Barc-Andre Fleury. And I had the pleasure of meeting Barc-Andre Fleury. It was great. Oh. Uh, Alex Petrangelo becomes available. And they decide, hey, Nate Smith, you're the nicest guy on the team and everybody loves you, but we can't get Alex Petrangelo on the team unless we cut bait with you. Every single time they had a chance to be like, hey, can we get better? They weren't worried about whose feelings were getting hurt. And really, that is the sep that is the differentiator. How you win a championship. That separates them from mm -hmm. everybody else. They didn't care about what anyone else thought because they were laser focused so early on 
on what they were trying to accomplish, and that was playoffs in three, Stanley Cup in six. I remember when they came through Toronto early on. I think it was it was probably within the first couple months of the season. And this I want, year? No, uh, oh, in, their, inaugural in their inaugural year? season. And I was talking to someone on the team because I was like, hey, I'm going to do a story on Nate Schmidt. You got anything, any insight? And he's like, you shouldn't be doing a story on Nate Schmidt. <laughs> and I'm like, why? He's like... He's boring. He's like, you know, this team's having so much fun and he's got this big smile on his face and it seems like he's really representative of what's going on here. And he's like, no, you should be doing a story on Shea Theodore. And Shea Theodore was like, okay, it was a big story Mm. because he was one of the good prospects they got. And part of the, hey, we ripped everyone off on on our path to getting a good team on the ice. But he wasn't as impactful as Nate Schmidt was in that in that moment. But me wanting to write a story on someone who they probably weren't convinced could win could be a part of a Stanley Cup championship team. That early on, they're like, no, you probably shouldn't do that. Shea did Theodore you end up is your doing guy. It? I think I did it anyway because I had already talked to Nate Schmidt. But I was looking for more insight, <laughs> and they thought, no, that was silly because he's probably, he's a day oneer, but I don't know if he's going to be here in six years winning us a Stanley Cup. They were identifying guys who they thought could win a Stanley Cup that quickly. It was all about one thing, winning a Stanley Cup, and only six guys, six original misfits survived. And every year they were adding and adding and adding impactful players until they got to that point. And I thought they'd went too far. I thought, you know, too, too risky with Petrangelo, mm. older, too risky with Jack Eichel, injured. Robin Leonard's better than Marc-Andre Fleury. Are you sure? Are you sure? And then, it, are you sure? And then he's not even there in the end because you got Aiden Hill and, mm-hmm. and Robin Leonard was hurt and not available. But it seemed like they were flying a little too close to the sun, that they were working too hard working hard, not working smart. But in the end, all those decisions added up and they're, they're the sort of team that should be considered the standard just six years into their existence. And the standard in terms of maybe how you want to build a team that's going to make it all the way last night, the con Smythe debate. It's not often that there's legitimately five guys that could have won a con Smythe. Most of the time, you've kind of solidified who that person is early on. It's getting easy. I mean, Jonathan Marcheseau did win, and he was the favorite. But it got down to the wire where it could have been Jack Eichel. It could have been Aiden Hill. It could have been Mark Stone last night. Like, there was either other names being thrown around that at least probably will be on the vote when we look when we finally get the vote release of, of who voted for who. But that's just kind of the representation of that team, a team, not just a group of individuals or a core of guys that are going to be getting the most ice time, pretty fairly distributed. It felt like a team where every line that jumped over the boards knew their identity, knew their impact. And that's how you win in the end. That's how you get all the way to winning the very final game of the year, right? It's not just a one-man show. And I think Florida kind of ran out of gas in terms of relying on those guys. Obviously, Matthew Kachuk not being the lineup last night was it was certainly a big blow. They they couldn't overcome that, um, mm-hmm. and they couldn't overcome not having him be the star of this round. And Bobrovsky, Matthew Kachuk, we find out played with a broken sternum, mm-hmm. which is awful and probably super dangerous and scary. But he he obviously suffered that injury, played a game, and then last yesterday was kind of a doubtful to play. Apparently, he tried to get out of bed. And he needed help getting out of bed because he couldn't lift himself out of bed after this broken sternum had just, I don't know, maybe just started. How do you, how, how does it all of a sudden, like, I don't get. Well, sternum, a, like, holds your body together. Yeah, I don't like, understand quite how. literally, it's it, pretty it crazy. holds your, like, connects your arms and connects your rib. Like, it is very, very important to holding he your needed, body together. He needed help um, 
to get out of bed so, yeah, after the I, pregame I would, I would nap. imagine everything that he was doing was pretty hard with a broken yeah, sternum. I mean, how did they not know he had a broken sternum? Anyway. Was, I think they did. Oh, okay. They did. So they just let him play with that. Um, I mean, you, there's people coming out with, like, a, what was it? Ekblad had a broken foot, popped his shoulder twice, has a torn oblique, Rico Gouda's high ankle sprain. Like, you're going to hear all those things that come out. But a uh, broken sternum is pretty hard to play through. Yeah, you would imagine. I mean, I would if I would if I do my amateur kinesiologist thing. Yeah, you, you're a kin guy. I would guess maybe like a little crack at the joint which connects the sternum to your shoulder. It's awful. It's bad, but maybe it's kind of like a broken collarbone, but it's near the sternum. If so, that makes sense. if I broke your collarbone, you think you could do the show? Yeah. Okay, we'll see. On painkillers. <laughs> see you in the parking lot just, after I mean, the show. He shouldn't have played, but I'm saying if his know, sternum in the middle of his body was shattered, I don't think he'd be, he'd I probably not. be in the hospital. Yeah. Anyway, we'll find out more. But the, yeah, it's tough. You kind of knew coming into it. You don't have this guy. He's been your emotional leader. He was, you know, the the point production leader for a lot of the series, and he's not in the lineup. It kind of felt like maybe they had run out of the steam. But the, my, my main point is the Vegas Gold Knights, well-rounded, a team unity, rolling over the boards with force and a lot of guys in the end that deserve that con spy trophy yeah i mean you were talking about we'll get to that in one second because we've got serious serious <laughs> we got some here. bones to pick here but, but you're talking some about sternums to pick carry and a guy original misfit mm-hmm. like la, like kind of uh, survives right you're a bit of a cockroach like you how do you hang <laughs> around when all this change happens when <laughs> It, at every turn, you're trying to improve this roster. They don't, again, they turn over every stone. But Carrier, along the way, proves that he can be of value in the role that he has because the difference between these two teams, and you can look at the rosters to prove this, when Kachuk goes out and you look at the bottom six with Florida, it's like, oh, you've been hiding a lot. Like, you've been you've been making do mm. with players that aren't optimized at every position. And then you look at Vegas, and everywhere you look, there's not a part of that roster where you're like, oh, you could upgrade it there. You yeah. could be a little bit better there. No, no, it's it's actually not possible. And you could say, yeah, they're better fourth line players in the in the league than Keegan Colasar, maybe. But Keegan Colasar is a valuable, he, valuable guy and forms part of a fourth line, which is really, really dominant in the context of a fourth line. Every single rung on the ladder, it's like, yeah, we've got a really valuable player here who's doing more than the average player would in this position. Maybe you could be like, oh, top line center. Like, they don't have a Connor McDavid. But they just, they finally have that superstar in Jack <laughs> Eichel. They finally have a center, which was what they were missing this entire time, someone who could actually not not just score the goals because he didn't score in the Stanley Cup final, but set up goals, zone entries, all the smart plays, doing things that Jack Eichel can do that previous centers that played for this team couldn't. I mean, it was once a time where William Carlson was the best center on this team. Mm-hmm. Now he's playing third line function, and that's much better for him. Okay, Conn Smythe Trophy awarded to Jonathan Marcheseau, and it was a sweat to the end. I, we talked about this all last week. We put some money on Jack Eichel, Conn Smythe, plus 2,000, plus 2,100. Mm-hmm. Because some of our most beloved and trusted insiders had also floated the idea that they liked him the most and that they would be voting for him. Merrick, or would Merrick, Sarah Valley, Friedman. I mean, those are like the the Mount Rushmore. Right. And so here we are with Jonathan Marcheseau taking home the trophy and Justin and I with empty pockets, empty bank accounts. I can't pay for our golf rounds for the rest of the summer. I'm screwed. I put all my golf money yeah, in there. Yeah, we're not golfing, though. We're not golfing. No coffees in the morning. We're just peasants. 
But it came down to that final, the trophy rolling out on the ice. And I was like, I have no idea. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, it could be Jonathan Marshall. It could be Mark Stone who got a hat trick last night, but was the voting already done? When do they hand the votes in? Elliot between the second admission saying he's got to fill his vote his vote out. And did people did people see that Jack Eichel played better than Jonathan Marshall Jack show Eichel yesterday? Jack Eichel was the best player on the ice last night, did even that with not, the Mark Stone Exactly. Hat-trick. Did that not give him the bump he needed? I guess not. But I think the original misfit narrative one over Jonathan Marshall, so extremely deserving. We know that you look at the points, look at the yes, we are, we are where tied for second, you know, and he got the most goals. And yes, but Jack well, Eichel, tied with Leon Dreisaitl, yeah, it's crazy. That is crazy. But we were so close. We need yeah. the we need a count though. But that's one thing they haven't anna- they haven't shown they haven't shown the the results of the count. No, it was and it's going to be like a one I, vote thing. Well, I don't hope that people betted and wasted the, wasted their money, but I was hoping that we came in here triumphant and other people had Rich. vote had uh, had <laughs> bet this plus 2000. <laughs> I was convinced we were winning. And it was like we mentioned the game was not good that good. It's clearly non-competitive for most of it, but that was like the ultimate sweat. That was one of the best sweats I've ever yeah, had from a gambling perspective because it was so fun listening to people talk about it, listening to, okay, this is the Canadian broadcast saying this, what's the American broadcast saying? Every time that Eichel touched the puck, I'm like, Eichel, Eichel is this? Yeah. I'm like texting you, and, like it's and, happening. And he was like, uh, was, uh, he was unbelievable. Yeah. Marchessault was doing nothing. Mark Stone all of a sudden has a hat trick and he's involved <sighs> in this. Aiden Hill was unbelievable know, for right? most of the game. I know, right? It started to be Aiden Hill narrative so, too. So it was so fun tracking it in the moment and I cannot wait to actually see the vote. I can't wait. Because again, we this idea was spawned out of Elliot Friedman on Saturday <laughs> after Game Four, saying it's he's Elliot's leaning, fault. he's <laughs> leaning Jack Eichel, and then Marcheseau was brutal, and then after two periods, not brutal, but not as good as Eichel, and after two periods, all of a sudden he's leading Marcheseau. Oh, and I am convinced, based on that, that he's just getting us back after we dressed up as him and Merrick for Halloween. I think you're totally onto something. We, I put on a crazy wig and a crazy beard, and I pretended to be Elliot Friedman, and look at me now. Elliot Freeman's laughing Last it laugh. up at the roulette table, <laughs> yes. and I'm sitting He's here still up. He's listening. grinding my coffee beans this morning and probably mm-hmm. reusing them for the next week. I got no money, but I was convinced we were winning. I, I, we would have had a party here and, in the studio. And, <laughs> yeah, we wouldn't have talked about the game yet. The justification, too, for it was... Everyone in the States, I thought, wanted Eichel to win. Well, there's articles coming Bucci out Gross, yesterday. Like, Gross kept pushing it. Kaplan had Kaplan that huge had the thing on him. beautiful article about his, his triumphant rise. And I'm like, that's it. Exactly. <laughs> Wayne Gretzky saying it on the podium. I'm like, okay, so we hear from Elliot and Merrick and Frank. Mm-hmm. Those are the ones Wayne that are Gretzky. mostly in our silo. But half of the people voting on this award are probably Americans who probably are not like, oh, Let's have this French Canadian win versus the American superstar who was overlooked and not looked as as someone who was on par with Connor McDavid or the other Canadian players who dominate this league. I thought for sure from a narrative perspective that the American vote would help oh, us. Well, there's always next year. And yet we but need when, we need to so see. So when they release the votes, does it say who voted for what? Or oh, yeah. just oh. it should. We might have a list of do not call on the show soon. It might be You've been, we forgot your number. Yeah. 
backspace button, the, uh, delete contact. The Professional Hockey Writers Association votes on it, and mm-hmm. I was like scanning their Twitter, and they have the Conn Smythe vote from two years ago pinned to their Twitter. So it's like, uh, we might not yeah, find we, we, that. We're still that waiting. That account might not we're have still made waiting it through on the, the Elon Musk era. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Justification uh, for uh, Kale McCarr last year. Anyway, it's just a testament to the way the Vegas Golden Knights were constructed. You know, just a fun thing to have. Many guys that are deserving of the MVP of the Stanley Cup playoffs. Um, One more thing just on what makes them special. Um, So I was looking at the previous five years, like preparing for this year Mm -hmm. with Vegas. They had 66 games in five years played in the playoffs before this run. So it was really 66 games in their first four years of existence. Mm -hmm. And I just feel like that, by the way, is only less than the Tampa Bay Lightning over the first five years. And if you look at six, Boston passed them. Right. So... Six years, or five years rather, prior to this one, only two teams have more playoff games than the Vegas Golden Knights. And we talk about playoff experience being something that the players need, right? Even with the Raptors, Nick Nurse is like, oh, we need to get these guys some playoff games. Yeah, that's true. But like to be one and done, what does that really offer you? But when you play 66 playoff games and you're making decisions about your roster and you're trying to be best, the best you could possibly be at third line left wing, like you're just trying to optimize your roster. 66 games worth of data, being able to see all these players on the ice in big moments, how valuable that must be, how valuable it must be to make decisions. If you're a player, how valuable it must be to actually be at your best. We talked to Frank yesterday, Frank or uh, Jack Eichel looked lost in his first playoff game. And then he figures Mm -hmm. out how to be in the playoffs. These games do matter. It matters from a team building perspective and it matters to the players who get to play them and get to grow and get to be better as players and as teams because they've played in the playoffs as long as they have. I think it's unbelievably important that they had that data to use to put the best team on the ice that they possibly could this year. But I mentioned Boston passing them in the fifth year. Bruce Cassidy had all that experience, right? Mm -hmm. So the playoff experience is in abundance like you can't really compare unless you're the Tampa Bay Lightning and oh yeah they're the most successful well, we team said they had the championship the pedigree. you can't count them out because they got there three years in a row mm-hmm. right you can't fake it right you cannot fake what's real whether it's an evaluation thing or it's the players and I think the evaluation thing is really really important because Kelly McCrim and George McPhee get to watch this team after a playoff disappointment and be like hey we just played 20 games like let's find out what's real from mm. these 20 games and the players that didn't hold up their end of the bargain, they're not here this next year. And then they do it again the next year and do it again the next year, do it again the next year. And all of a sudden you have a team that on playoff ice almost looks unbeatable, almost looks unbeatable. Mm-hmm. And it's not that impressive. Like they don't have Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. They don't have what the Leafs have from a talent perspective. They don't have the Sergei Bobrovsky and Ned who's carrying them through until uh, and just denying the fact that they could ever lose. But every single player on that team seemed like they knew what to do in that moment. They were consistent. They were built nearly to perfection, despite not being a team that would look perfect in a regular season. And I just think the playoff experience that you accrue over multiple years of success, it allows you to be at your best like Vegas was in this series. And it's a copycat league. And now the offseason begins. That's something you can't fake, though. And that's it. And that's really, really important. But I think, like, teams watching this, yeah, you can... You can make your blue line bigger and you can think of w- proven winners, but you, yeah, you can't But does that big that. defenseman who you got from the Buffalo Sabres does it uh, do by it way you? of the Chicago no. Blackhawks, Jake McCabe, who had never played mm-hmm. in a playoff game before, does he know 
how to be, and he wasn't that big. He wasn't like Brady McNabb. But does he know how to be at his playoff best? Because he's never done it before. It's it's something that I think teams will try to replicate, but it's not a plug and play. Mm-hmm. It's a team unity, go through it together, overcome those hurdles, construct your team with a kind of ruthless attempt at success. And, and yeah, and, and if and you're like, if that guy shied away in the last series, like we have no use out. for you anymore. Yeah. Um, I got two more things before we talk Raptors. Um, I saw this tweet from Greta Van Leafs. 2019, Boston beats the Leafs. They lose in the finals. 2021, Montreal beats the Leafs. Lose in the finals. 2022, Tampa Bay beats the Leafs. Lose in the finals. 2023, Florida beats the Leafs. Lose in the finals. Maybe there's a reverse Leafs curse out there. Yeah, (laughs) maybe there is. I don't, I don't even know what that, like, it's, it's, it's a good stat. It's, it's a good stat. I just saw it on Twitter. I thought, what is it? It's I, interesting. And, but I don't know what it means. Um, one other one. Phil Kessel. Oh, yeah. Three-time Stanley yeah. Cup champ. Mm-hmm. Didn't play in any playoff games. Somehow has already been. Does he get his name on the cup? He gets his name on the cup, for sure. Why? Wait, didn't he play in one playoff game? Isn't it one game? He's on the cup. Like, he's getting on the cup. Is he? It, he, he played until the conference final. As Josh just said in my ear. Okay. But we haven't seen him in a while. That's why you're like, where's Phil Castle been? You know. Anyway, he's on the cup. He's certainly on the cup. He he won. He was the Iron Man. He played every single game since he was born. Anyway, funny things circulating a line about the Phil Castle revenge and talks about Toronto and uh, a friend, you know, Mikey Stevens on Twitter mm-hmm. has the has the quote that's kind of going viral quote f- from Phil Kessel takes me back to my Toronto days. You guys said I couldn't win, and now I'm a three-time champ. Remember that. And I feel like if you heard him say it, it'd be a little bit yeah. a different tone. But he's just out there with his baby and his wife, and he's won three cups, and it's Phil Kessel. Like, mm-hmm. you, you kind of have to just smile and chuckle at the Phil Kessel story. But he's a three-time champ, and yeah. he said, remember that. And he's the 14th forward on the team. Uh, but, yeah, uh, it's uh, it's uh, you can't, like... Yeah, but without it sounding overly negative and bitter that he didn't get it done yeah, here. of course. He did play only four games in these playoffs. And I think the rule, if he didn't play in one game in the Stanley Cup final, was half the games. Or at least maybe half the games in the regular season. Anyway, he's going to get his name on the cup because 100%. he probably played enough. But he played every game in the regular season, which is interesting because Vegas isn't like a handout team. Mm-hmm. But they let him play every game to keep that iron streak uh, alive. And, you know, they brought in guys, and he still played over the Teddy Blugers of the world who came in at the deadline. Teddy Bluger couldn't get into this lineup either. I saw which... Teddy Bluger lifting that cup, and I thought... And Teddy Bluger's a legit oh, yeah. player. He's, he's on this legit, team. He's a legit player. Mm-hmm. So that, that tells you how deep they are. Like, Phil Kessel was maybe the 14th, 15th option. Not a lot of booze for Gary Bettman. Is Vegas his city? Like, do they love Gary Bettman in Vegas? Surprising. He came out, and it was just like... Maybe they had just been so... Fired up for the last. Why would they boo Gary? Thirty Batman? minutes, yeah, true. The last thirty minutes of play that they didn't even know that Gary Bettman had come out on the ice. They're just cheering for the cup. But mm-hmm. interesting, Gary Bettman is he warming up? No, Vegas just loves Gary Bettman for helping them six years well, franchise to the win o- a cup. The Ottawa Senators, and we haven't really met, talked about this much, but they sold yesterday for nine hundred and fifty million dollars. Guess how much the Vegas Golden Knights cost? You remember? No, I don't. $500 million. That's one of the greatest investments six years later that you could possibly imagine. We could have bought that if Jack Eichel won the cons. What do you think the value of Vegas right now? A couple bill. Maybe not a couple, but over a million dollars. 
Over a billion dollars for sure. They just won a Stanley Cup. I just think we're talking. Stanley, just won a Stanley Cup. Immensely successful. It's Vegas. They're not going anywhere. They're on the strip. Entertainment capital of the world. Already have a championship. Like they might have over. Uh, they've already doubled their their franchise value mm-hmm. in six years. One hundred percent. And uh, you know the the Senators sale all but uh, can conclude that for you. But imagine now five hundred million dollars got you an NHL team. Uh, the six, seven, eight years ago, whenever that was actually purchased. Um, and now we're seeing franchises go for nearly a bill, maybe the lowest earning franchise league-wide mm-hmm. going for almost a billion dollars. Yeah, so Vegas is going to skyrocket it. Yeah, it's one of the great success stories of the this era of the NHL. Is that team coming in for what 100%. it did and having the impact that it's had? Okay, we'll talk more with Nick Kiprios. Kipper at 7 o'clock about Vegas, the Ottawa Senators. We've got Brent Walls coming in, talk to Sens as well. Uh, knows that team extremely well, knows that market. Uh, we'll go through all that. Are they going to clean out house now? But they have a winning bid. Canadian Torontonian billionaire. Take it over the Sens. Uh, we'll talk more 7 and 8 o'clock on that one. We have Bobby Webster on the show at the end of the show. Toronto Raptors general manager. So huge day in Toronto Raptors um, I guess future current landscape of what's next for them. Introducing their head coach Darko Ryakovic yesterday at Jurassic Park. Big scene. Balloons. Ice cream. Fanfare. Exactly four years to the day that we were all at Jurassic Park celebrating living in the moment of the Toronto Raptors winning their first NBA championship. Just kind of full circle moment. Um Darko Ryakovich, first impressions. Uh, we got lots of lots of time to break that down throughout the show as well. Um, he was on the Raptors show at 4.30 yesterday um, with Alex and Will, and I thought that was really great. But my initial reaction from a guy that we're all learning about, this was a learning moment, is a guy full of charisma, so honored and proud to have this role, extremely well-spoken, loves this opportunity, has earned this opportunity, and I felt really inspired. Like, yeah, he didn't lay out every single piece of information that we had wanted yesterday. That wasn't his job, though. And that isn't his job. And we can try, we can try to get some out of Bobby Webster later in the show. And, you know, it wasn't Messiah Jury wasn't as maybe forthright and forthcoming as we wanted. But I don't know how you can't kind of rally behind the way he talked about this team and what he wants to do and how accountable he wants to hold the players, how much he wants to see success, how much he cares about their personal being and making this team united and one of, of great culture. I I'm, I'm a Darko Stan. Yeah. I, I it's hard not to be. I think, mm-hmm. I think, I think you're right. I mean, there was kind of two experiences though. Yesterday, uh, there was the experience in the sun <laughs> with Masai Ujiri he had his moment by his in the side. Sun. And then there were like other things, other radio interviews, other appearances for uh, Darko Rayakovich, which were much different. Uh, I thought what we saw with Ujiri was almost like an extension of a job interview. And it was like, oh, you do interview well. Like this yeah, his is, answers were immaculate. Like, like what you were saying was exactly, if you were prepping for an interview, this is how you'd want to conduct mm-hmm. yourself. Uh, nothing short of, like, the only thing that he fell short of was, like, having that question at the end was, like, uh, you know, what are your, uh, what's the next step for someone or in like, my position? what are your strong suits and, like, <laughs> yeah, what are your, like, what are your negatives, but you have an answer that's, like, actually a positive? No, but I'm talking about <laughs> Should we you, follow up with you? Like, what, should yeah, I wait a couple come back business with a question, days? Because like, <laughs> there's, always, there's always, like, do you have any questions for us? And then you always have one stock, one prepared. Yeah. That's the only thing that Darko didn't have. It was, like... <laughs> 
he was very complimentary of the organization, complimentary mm-hmm. of the city, complimentary of what they built. Oh, this team's so great. And it was just like, is it though? Is this team so great? Like, what, what do we actually uh, do? When you say that it's so great, are we talking about 2019? Are we talking about what's current? Like, wh- are you just happy to be here was kind of my vibe a little bit early on. And then you hear what he's really about in conversations after the fact. And you should go back and listen to if you want to feel the way Eilish felt and the way that I feel after hearing these uh, interviews, you should listen to Will's interview with him uh, Mm -hmm. on the Raptors show where he just kind of laid out his expectations and the principles and the values that he uh, tries to upkeep or will try to upkeep with this team. And it was what it's, you know, the, the the word selfishness came up and it was mm-hmm. something that bothered Ujiri so much and asked about selfishness. He has this answer that basically lays out that, you know, selfish selfishness is not a thing with, with uh, teams that I coach. Like it's all about team. It's all about unity. It's all about the extra pass. It's all about, Hey, you have a double team. Well, that means someone else is open. And it was really like, yeah, you hear that stuff, but it felt really, really genuine and real. And it was about, formulating a team rather than having individuals shine through and individuals run an organization like they do in the NBA. I mean, the NBA, the superstars run the league. They drive the league. They make the decisions for the league. And it seemed like Ray Akovich is a guy who's going to set a culture where it's team first. And a lot of those answers, which underscored that point, were very, very impressive to me. I couldn't agree more. And I think this is now the the pivot point, like we didn't really get a full answer of, or is it time to restructure, rebuild, retool? But he seems like the right guy to do that. But he also, in the answers that we we heard from Masai and hopefully from Bobby today, that he's also the guy that they can have coach any iteration of the team. Like they kind of covered all their bases by not saying, oh yeah, he's only a rebuild, retool guy, but he's had a hand in player development and he spoke so confidently about that being a skill set of his, that it just feels like that's mm-hmm. got to be the direction you go. Or if you want to utilize this guy. Or some sort of hybrid of that. Hybrid, like it, it yeah. can't be like, hey, what's well, uh, expectations to win a championship? No, no it's it, not. It can't be it, that. And, but he can be. Like he can be. He's not. I'm not saying he's not going to be able to have a win now team. But everything he said and the amount of pride and focus he put into developing these players, the emphasis of putting them in positions to play, to grow, to get time on the court, not just relying on your starting five to lead the league in minutes. A guy that says, if you have development and you want your players to get better, which is something we've talked about many times about this team that frustrated us over the last couple of years and the Nick Nurse experience was you are running your starters into the ground while you have young talent, young bench guys that need opportunity to play and get better. And yeah, it's a tough thing to balance win now and also develop a team and have guys from the G League or younger bench pieces not getting time but we said sometimes there's got you got to meet in the middle right and if the if you don't trust your bench but you're also not giving your bench time to play it's kind mm-hmm. of like a conundrum right and he he seemed to really emphasize the point that you got to get guys out there you got to give them opportunities that they're working hard now on giving them confidence working on shooting like he he covered all the bases about this team having more opportunity if you're a young guy like all the people in attendance the raptors in attendance i know will laid that out all the young guys were there I would think sitting in that front row, if you're one of the younger prospective superstars one day or stars of this team, you must feel confident about your next season ahead with Darko Ryakovich as your coach because he put emphasis on them sitting there being yeah. like, you are part of this team and 
you will get an opportunity to make that impact. And, and there could be a lip service thing there, like uh, mentioned, like interviewing well. And interviewing well means you did research on the organization. Partly, and that was right? in that was a point and, like, of emphasis. All the things, okay, the, the organize or the fan base is frustrated about selfishness. Like mm-hmm. I'm going to talk about how I'm unselfish. You know, like you could easily true, just be true, like true. filling the bucket. But he has real world example of hey, we like a, a player needs to be more than what their pigeonhole as. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe under nurse, like it's like, okay, you don't immediately show that and I can't trust you. And maybe, you know, there's just gonna be a longer leash. But I also think there's gonna be, hey, you're you can be more than what you've shown me. And one of the best examples, and he talks about his experience with Desmond Bain on the the Will uh in the uh, Will interview, excuse me. Uh, and how Desmond Bain, who was drafted one slot after Malachi Flynn, mm-hmm. a late first-round draft pick, not really expected to be much, you would assume, based on his draft's position. And Desmond Bain came up to him and he's like, yeah, I want to be a 3 and D guy. I want to be 3 and D. And he's like, that's not, that's actually not enough. But when you think about it, it's like, oh, 3 and D. Like, you need 3 and D guys. You need guys who can just, uh, you know, focus on one thing and knock down the shot when given that opportunity. And that would suffice before, right? That would suffice probably under Nick Nurse because you got other guys who were doing the heavy lifting. Mm -hmm. That would have been okay. But in Darko's world, that's not okay. You have to be more because if they take your shot away, what use are you to me? Or if they switch off and you're only a good defender uh, against someone your size or smaller than you, then what good are you to me? And I I just think the, the willingness and the want to make players better is probably the thing that impressed me the most. He wants to take these players and make them better than they were and are. And if you're the Raptors, yeah, that's what you need. Mm -hmm. Is it enough? Like, no. And we're going to talk to Bobby Webster. I'm like, okay, that's one of the questions I want to ask. Like, can you be, can you find the progression that you lacked through just a coaching hire? No. I don't think so either. But can these players be better because Darko's working with I them? I think so, yes. 100%. I think that's possible. It was very, and, and they went through the interview process. We found out that it was about 15 people being interviewed, um, second round of about five or six. So what was it about Darko? Is it this idea that he is the right guy to develop? Is it the different offensive structure that he can bring is it his energy and his love and the opportunity that he's earned like we can ask bobby that later in the show we also have michael grange on at 7 30 who was there of course and he can give us more of, of insight in terms of everything that darko said mm-hmm. everything that messiah jury said messiah was bubbly excited kind of like giggly yeah, he was like a little kid can i actually we want to play that one clip of um messiah about it being a great time for S- serbians because they I just thought it, you could just tell there's a lot of excitement around Darko's hire, and this clip is just kind of funny. It's a good time for the Serbs uh, right now. <laughs> you guys know. <laughs> I want to be a, you, a Masai Ujirianovic. That's, <laughs> that's, that's what I want to be now um, with Darko, um, tennis, uh, basketball. We saw Jokic yesterday, and now... I'll bring this special guy here. Yeah, just it's 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 cute. I, yeah, it's yeah. You went for it. I mean, sometimes I like I have a joke in my head. I'm like I'm not doing that. I'm, I'm thinking that's that's maybe one I would have passed up on. But you know, and it's my Sayujiri. He can do whatever he wants. Uh, but just quickly on the Serbian connection, Europe connection. I wonder if they take on some sort of idea. I always wondered this before, like 10, whatever, 12 years ago, Jorge Garbajosa, and it's like, hey, are they going to go that route where like their team Europe, they're the European team, they try mm-hmm. to do things differently? Not to say that they're going to do this, they're going to change their team and complete makeover and try to do something completely different under Darko. 
But I wonder if you access a different talent pool with him, given his connections, given where he came I don't know, from. He couldn't. Given what he is going to want to put out there, right? I mean, there are going to be players that are more suited to what he wants to do. And you think a lot of them would be European based on the fact that he's European and grew through the European coaching ranks. So it's interesting. We'll see, you know, how they maneuver now that they have the guy they're so proud of is the most interesting thing. But I think yesterday to just, you know, circle back to your point, like it it was uh, encouraging to say the least. Yep. And now it's time for action. Um, He's got to hire some new coaches. He's got to talk about what's going to happen in terms of uh, summer league. He didn't fully commit or or tip the hand up if he's going to be the coach or of that or not. It's a good opportunity to get to know your players. And also there's a lot of off season things that need to happen outside of being at the summer league. So we'll, we'll find it more. We'll talk to Grange at seven 30. We got Bobby Webster to wrap up the show at the end of the show. So, um, stay tuned for all of that. Rappers related. We blue Jays. We didn't, we didn't really get a chance to go through it, but, uh, maybe for the best <laughs> 11 to six loss last night to kick off a, an important series against Baltimore Orioles. Uh, Chris Bassett, a rare, bad Chris Bassett night. Um, a tough stat line, kind of a tough mm, fall from gr- the excitement that we had around Chris Bassett. Um, sure. You know, that's all I can say, really. Three inch pitch and uh, Grand Slam and a lot of earned runs. So that's kind of your storyline about last night. But we'll, we'll tee up more. Yeah, yeah, we will. I mean, like, less concerned really about Bassett because I think he's shown the ability to bounce oh, yeah. back. But like, if just you just keep guy, losing you know? to American League East opponents, it's I not going to help you. What at some point, like, what more do you need to know about the team if they are inferior within their own division? Yeah, it's okay to beat up on other teams, but these games mean more, and they mm-hmm. continue to fail in these in these exams that they're taking against in division competition. Yeah, game one against the Orioles didn't go great for the Toronto Blue Jays. We got time to talk about that and tee that up throughout the show because tonight you got Jose Barrios and Kyle Bradish on the mound, seven p.m. That's on Sportsnet. And, of course, Sports at 590, the fan, um, uh, bounce back opportunity. And, and you know what? It's, it's Blue Jays forever now because no more NHL, no more NBA. So we're Blue Jays pregame plus before Jays talk plus. It's going to be we, Blue Jays heavy, baby. Just in terms of the NHL, we might have a busy month I know, here with I'm everyone, just teasing. Tr- everyone trying to be In terms of real Vegas. sporting events to watch, no, games know, to know, watch, Blue Jays, Blue Jays, Blue Jays. Yeah, so Blue Jays, Blue Jays, Blue Jays. We got lots of time uh, for that. But we're going to do our U.S. Open picks in the A-list because our show is jam-packed today. We want to make sure we get those in before the tournament tees off tomorrow. we got Kipper at 7, Grange at 7.30, and then full line of guests before Bobby Webster at 8 to wrap up the show. So uh, we'll go through all that on the other side of the break. An A-list with U.S. Open picks. Sportsnet 590. The fan. Now it's time for hey, yo. the A list. Bing bong. Bing bong. Bing bong. What's up, baby? Okay, coming off a monster win in the Fan X Cup standings with my plus 6,600 outright win for Nick Taylor. Justin is far, far behind, and he has to have an interesting strategy to try to work his way up. I don't know which direction you're going, but. Again, I, you can't hit like a eight-run home run. You can only chip away, mm-hmm. and I will try to chip away at this lead. Uh, can't get it all back at once. Okay, you're up first. Um, this is a prime time U.S. Open because it's in L.A. at the L.A. Country Club, which has been newly renovated. So it's kind of a it's kind of a interesting learning 
week mm-hmm. because I've been trying to catch on any information I can. It looks like you lose the ball if it goes yeah. off the fairway. Yeah, like, Typical U.S. Open yeah, stuff, it's right? Hard, it's, it's like, oh, you got to hit the fairway because the, yep. uh, the rough will be long. So... You get first pick. Um, we'll go through a regular five-pack of players. We've moved off of, like, the tiers, just five people that you think might win. And then we'll do two Canadians as well. You're getting first pick, so yeah, take it away, uh, bud. Yeah, I probably shouldn't look this high up the board, but, again, can't get it all back. Uh, I'm going to take Brooks Kepka. Uh, Brooks Kepka is made for tournaments like this. you got to hit it long at a U.S. Open, and Brooks does that. And you got to have a little bit of nerve that most players don't have, but Brooks Kepka has in abundance. Uh, he is, of course, the PGA Championship winner. He's looking to make it two majors this year, looking to continue to rub it mm-hmm. in everyone's faces. Uh, Brooks Kepka, 11-1, to 1 will be my first pick. That's a good pick. Um, it's going to be a lot of live PGA stuff this time around, so a guy that might want to rub some salt in the wound. I'll take Scotty Scheffler, number one in the world. Uh, I don't need to take too much thought process into trying to extend my lead. He's plus uh, 600, the favorite, but (laughs) number one in the world. So Scotty Scheffler for me. You should probably take Scotty Scheffler every single week. I'll uh, take some tiny wins. Um, I'm going to show my hand here. I'm going to go all live as long as I can here. Uh, That's going to be my strategy for at least this week. Dustin Johnson, 35-1, to 1 will All be right. my next pick. Uh, some of the guys who went have the ability to win U.S. Opens. Dustin Johnson is long. Dustin Johnson is uh, one of the guys who can shorten a golf course that is uh, of U.S. Open caliber. So I will go with Dustin Johnson, DJ, 35-1. to 1. Okay, this is a pick um, from a friend of mine that I trust very much so. Okay. Tyrell Hatton. Really? He likes Tyrell Hatton this week, and I'm kind of just able to just take. You could have waited on this one. Yep, that's okay. I mean, whatever. I'm up a thousand thousand points, so I'll take. <laughs> yeah. I'll do whatever I want. Uh, Tyrell Hatton uh, plus true. three thousand. I'm going with my buddy Nixon, who is a golf connoisseur. Likes okay, Tyrell Hatton, a... and that's a that's a fan pick. How about that? Okay, uh, you're a fan of Tyrell Hatton. No, that's a fan pick from him. Oh, okay. I, I can I can take I fan a, picks. That was a friend pick. Yeah. Okay. okay, we got a motor here. Uh, I'm going Bryson DeChambeau. He can also hit it long. Oh, he's also a strategist. Bryson Gross. DeChambeau, uh, uh, you know, he's got U.S. Open caliber mm-hmm. uh, golf games. So I will go with him and continue my tour of the live power hitters. Victor Hoblin, plus 1,600 for me. I like that guy a lot. Um, he's playing some good golf, and I like to see him win. Cam Smith. Time, time for him to play better, 28 to 1. Uh, he's pretty high up on the board. I don't think that's a good bet per se, uh, but he is the next best live guy. <laughs> you're, just, you're going full evil this time around, going, eh? Well, with one exception here to come. Uh, Max Homa. I'm going to take him. Um, I know our buddy Will from Niagara also likes Max Homa, but he's got some good hype going into the weekend, uh, 28 to 1. To take the lead back, my guy, Sahit the Gala. Yes, uh, it'll be Sahith live guys the, let's and go. Sahith the Gala. Um, okay. 75 to 1. Um, okay, so that leaves me with... One uh, last non-Canadian. Um, defending champ, Matt, Fitzpat- Matt Fitzpatrick. Mm. Okay, let's go with Fitzy. Didn't he get his braces off? <laughs> okay, we're going two Canadians? Yep. Uh, where is he? Where's Nick Taylor? You got to take him, 75 eh? to 1. Let's go, Nick. You're <laughs> on my go. team now. Um, I, I don't even know where the Canadians are on this list. Corey Connors, the shortest at 66. Where's our buddy Mackenzie Hughes? 
Mackenzie, Adam Hadwin's 250. Oh, I want Hadwin. I want Hadwin. I want Hadwin. I want okay. Hadwin. Um, okay, so I got Hadwin. Who do you got? I will take uh, Corey Connors, then 66. Okay, give me Mackenzie Hughes. Mackenzie Hughes is 200, or sorry, 350 to 1. Okay, oh boy. Here. We can just give you the prize money if that, Mackenzie Hughes wins. At that point, I just, I, I win everything. Okay, so you've got the uh, the dark side here. The Kepka, Liv, guys, <laughs> plus, yeah. Liv plus the gala. And I've got Scheffler, Tyrell Hatton, Victor Hovland, Max Homa, Matt Fitzpatrick, um, Hadwin, and Hughes. Surprised you didn't go with John Rahm. Yeah, I don't like him. Okay. I can do whatever I want because I'm winning. I know. Okay, we got a long day ahead of great guests. Nick Kiprios joins us on the other side of the break. Did he ever sink a 72-foot putt? He's a golf guy. He's a golf guy adjacent. Uh, golf guy adjacent. Let's, let's see what he's up to on, on the greens. Okay, Nick Kipper on the other side of the break.